All right, let's look in 1 Thessalonians tonight. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. <clears throat> I had my sermons all laid out for today. And uh, my sermon for this morning got changed last night. And then I had, so I had something I had already intended on preaching. I think it was a couple of days ago. And then I felt like this was... Maybe what the Lord wanted us to take a look at tonight. So that's what we're going to do. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And let's take a look here in verse 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we'll take a look here in verse 1. Uh, let, me, let me go ahead and pray. Yeah, I'll go ahead and pray. Father, we, Lord, we thank you, God, for your goodness to us tonight. Lord, we do thank you for allowing us, God, to be in your house. Lord, thank you for your mercy. And God, Lord, thank you for salvation. Lord, thank you for saving us. God, Lord, the great work that it took, Lord, to redeem the souls of men. God, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for sending your son a sacrifice for our sins. And Lord, we pray, God, that tonight, Lord, as we open your word and God, uh, gather here around your book, God, that you'd help us to understand, Lord, what's in it. God, pray that you'd help me, Lord, to preach as I ought to, Lord, to say the things that need to be said. And, uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help these to understand, Lord, as they need to understand. God, Lord, we pray for your guidance. Lord, I pray that you'd lead me, God, here as I preach. God, Lord, teach me. Lord, like you told Moses you'd do, God, I pray that you'd teach me what I ought to say, Lord. And we'll thank you, God, for everything that's said and done to your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, let's take a look in verse 1. The Bible says, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, and that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor." not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who, all, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves, not, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another, and indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. He said, you're doing a good job. These things I'm telling you, you're doing, you're doing it already, but do it a little bit more. Increase. Uh, go, go beyond the point where you're at. I used to work at the prison. This really don't have a whole lot to do with the sermon, but it has everything to do with the text here as we're reading. Uh, I used to work at the prison, and when I was working out there, that, it was a private facility owned by a private company based out of Boca Raton, Florida. And uh, the warden that was out there for most of the, my duration out at the prison, he was a, a retired Bureau of Prisons warden. He, he actually retired... He, he became, he worked his way up as a correctional officer and worked his way up to the, a, a warden's position and then worked his way from the warden's position to what they call the top cop 
in D.C. And basically he had oversight of the operation side of every Bureau of Prisons facility in the United States. Big job. And he actually revised and helped write the corrections manual that the Bureau of Prisons uses right now. And he was a really neat guy. He was a really interesting guy, not just as somebody that worked in uh, corrections, but just as a man. He, I don't believe he was a saved man, uh, but he, he was a very interesting man. And we used to have uh, we, our, our contract was with the Bureau of Prisons, and we used to, have, we used to be audited once a year. The, the, the Bureau of Prisons would send in a team of auditors, and they would come in, and they would search us high and low. And uh, they would look for th places where we didn't come up, we didn't measure up to Bureau of Prison standards. And it was an open book test because they gave us all of their standards. They gave us their policy books and said, These, this is what we expect. And when we wrote policies as a private facility, they had to review them and approve them. So everything's an open book test. And he told us coming to the facility from a Bureau of Prisons background, he said most of the time Bureau of Prisons facilities get somewhere around uh, 10 or uh, 5 to 10 deficiencies every audit that they go through. By the time we, by the time I left that facility, we were down to one a year, which is pretty good because every time they give you a deficiency, they dock you several hundred thousand dollars. So you can see there's a lot of motivation to not get deficiencies. Uh, because if, you, if we could get those deficiencies down, we all got that as bonuses for Christmas. They'd split it up among the, the uh, employees, and they'd give that to us for bonuses. So there was some incentive there. <laughs> Uh, uh, people work for incentive, don't they? Uh, so anyways, uh, but, but we came through one time, and uh, I remember the year before the last year that I was there, before the, the year before the last audit that I was there, and the bonus wasn't, you know, super huge, but it was enough to be an incentive. But the audit before the last audit that I was there, we got three deficiencies, which is less than any Bureau of Prisons facility has, we, we've ever heard of any Bureau of Prisons facility ever getting. And I remember our warden, Tracy Johns, getting up in the visitation room. He called a staff recall and got everybody together. And we had this big old staff meeting. You know, they have meetings to, you know, have a meeting and do it. But he got us in there and he said, uh, he said, basically, this is what the gist of the meeting was. He said, you guys did a great job. He said, you guys have done a wonderful job. He said, I couldn't be more proud of a group of staff members than you folks right here. He said, but we could do better. Yeah. And man, you should have heard the complaints after that meeting, Brother Clint. <laughs> staff members walking out whining about that stuff. Oh, all he's cared about is a bullet on his resume. Well, maybe he is. Maybe he is. But maybe he's interested in something more. Maybe he's interested in a bigger bonus going into your wallet. Either way, that's exactly what Paul's doing right here. Hey, you guys are doing a great job. You could do a little bit better, though. Oh, man, when do the standards ever stop? When do the expectations ever stop? When you're dead. <laughs> take, take comfort. As soon as you're dead, the preacher will quit preaching to you. Ain't that right? Uh, you'd never find me out over in Camp Pickney's graveyard telling them folks what they ought to do. I say that in a little bit of jest, but you know their opportunities are gone. They're over. Yes, sir. Those opportunities are long gone. But if you're alive, you still got yours.
So he says, but as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, and that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands, as we have commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. Now, I read all of that because it's just, this is a great chapter, this is a great passage of Scripture, but I want to bring you back up to verse 3, and I'm starting at verse 3 because that's the beginning of the sentence. I, want, I really want to bring your attention to verse 4, but let, let's read verse 3 again. He said, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification. And what's that big, long word right there at the end of the verse? Honor. Honor. And I want to just try and give you a couple of things about that here this evening. I want to try to talk to you about a, a little bit of honor. The Christian position is a position of honor. Uh, I say the Christian position. It, that's true as well. But really what I meant to say was the Christian condition as opposed to position. The Christian condition should be a condition of honor. Every single one of you sitting here this evening, before you got saved, you was in a position of dishonor. And the day that the Lord saved you and washed your sins away and made you a child of God, you're now put in a place to where you should be an honorable individual. If I could re remind you, uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, he says, I therefore, Paul again writing, he says, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you called. And we talk about, you know, God's called this guy to do this and God's called this guy to do that, but there's a calling that rests on the shoulder of every single one of you, and that's the calling to be saints. You're called to be saints according to Romans chapter 1. Called to be saints. This is a position of great honor. And honor is not really something that you hear a whole lot of in this society because honor has, it's, it's not the same, but it ties in very closely with dignity. And people have long thrown dignity away as far as American society is concerned. People are not concerned about that. They're not concerned about being dignified. That's why people walk around in the public places in their pajamas. I mean, if you do that, I'm not going to hold that against you, but that's a fact. Uh, you go back uh, 80 years or so, and you find people going to the supermarket in suits and ties. And now folks don't think nothing about going in flannel pajama pants. Uh, I've done that a time or two, but I've never felt right doing it. It always is, is weird, man. It, it's always strange. Uh, but people just really don't think much about dignity anymore. They, they really don't think a whole lot about dignity. And they don't think a whole lot about honor. They don't think about honor. But that's what Christianity really is. It's, it puts you in a place. It puts you in a place to where you are, as far as your standing's concerned, it puts you in a place to where you are honorable. But it also puts some pressure on you to be honorable as far as your state is concerned. It makes you honorable as far as your standing is concerned. Listen, if you're saved in here, you're in Christ Jesus you're sitting in heavenly places in Christ right now. You're as good as, as in heaven. You're there right now as far as your standing is concerned. Uh, but you know as well as I do, you know folks that pro proclaim and they profess the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and they're very dishonorable people. Well, that's not, that's not, it doesn't, that doesn't agree with the Christian position. 
it doesn't agree with what you should be as, as a Christian. It's true. Uh, I was thinking about this a little bit, and you know, there's, there seems to be, and probably has been for a while, but I've only recently become aware of it. There's this uh, resurgence of the fitness culture. I guess things, I guess there's always been, you know, the fitness culture around, but you know, things maybe got a little bit uh, exploded with Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, I think he won some prizes for, you know, Mr. Universe or whatever, which is so weird, man. Uh, I don't know what's so attractive about seeing a fella prance across a stage in his drawers, less than his drawers, just so that you can look at his muscles. There's no man's muscles that I want to look at. No man's. Uh, but they, those things got really common. And, you know, uh, then, you know, things go on and people really start doing this. And the thing that people want to do now is they want to get swole. Uh, which has been around for a long time. That's probably actually an old term that's just, you know, had a little bit of a reviving here recently. I want to get swole, bro. Or it's not bro, it's bro. B-R-U-H. Bro. That's, that's so weird, man. Our, our kids, our kids, they pick it up from some of you devils. I hear some of you demon little children running around here saying that. And my wife gets on to them every time. It's not a bad word. It's just weird, especially coming out of a girl's mouth. Bruh. <laughs> Give me some Irish Springs, man. I need to take a bath. It's weird. Say it all you want. I don't care. I'm not going to part. I'm not going to part fellowship with you. Called y'all out. I said I wasn't supposed to do that this morning. That's not biblical. But uh, going to get swole. This guy, man, he's really jacked. You know, that's the kind of that's the kind of lingo that comes out of a gym. These are guys that don't have any brains, but they got muscles. It's like ox, oxen, oxes, whatever it is. Uh, they they know how to pull a load, but boy, they don't know how to talk. Uh, that, but, you know, I, I was thinking about that thing and, you know, uh, I'm possibly going to step on some toes. And listen, I, I'm going to say some things about weight here in just a second. And I want you to understand, I'm not trying to pick on you at all. If you may be a little bit overweight, God knows my heart. It's not even any of my business. Okay? So just don't let it be awkward to you, okay? Because it's going to be a little awkward for me. Uh, but I'm going to say it to try and make a point here in just a second. I was thinking about all this fitness culture. You know, here goes a guy. He runs into a gymnasium, and he's going to try to get swole, or he's going to try to get jacked. I got a better, and, and this is my challenge to you tonight. Instead of whatever, whatever it is that you're going to try to do to improve yourself, obviously right now I'm talking about things in the realm of your physical body, right? Everybody understands that. But whatever you're going to do to try to improve yourself, be that mentally, be that spiritually, be that physically, whatever you do, instead of trying to go somewhere and get swole or get jacked or I'm going to come out a genius, let me challenge you to do this. How about just doing what you're trying to do to just be honorable? That, I believe, is a safe place to aspire to. I, I believe that with all of my heart. Here's a guy who goes in and he's trying to get, you know, 28-inch biceps. But here's a guy, here's another guy that's going in right beside him, and all he's trying to do is just not fall apart. 
you know, I, everybody knows, probably everybody knows, which I'm not trying to put my life out there. I'm not anything special, but I got a little weight rack over there in the fellowship hall, and I do lift some weights. But when I started to do that, I didn't have any intentions of becoming a monster. I was 32 years old, and I had some problems with my lower back, and that's stupid. So I said, I'm not going to sit here in at, at an office and waste away. I'm going to sit in an office and read all day. I'm not going to sit here and waste away. I'm going to do something about it. And so I got, a, got me a barbell, and I started throwing some weights around. I mean, lifting them, not actually throwing them. I throw plates at my wife, <laughs> if you was paying attention this morning. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about because you was checked out this morning. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, but... Uh, but I started lifting those things, but it wasn't a thing of trying to get big or trying to impress somebody. It was just, man, I, my body's falling apart. And that's what happens when you sit on your rear all day. That's what happens. You fall apart. Well, that's not really an honorable position. Now, I mean, if you're 60 years old and you're falling apart, there's grace to be had there because that's what happens. But if you're 32 years old, man, you're in the flower of your age. You're in the prime of your life. You shouldn't be having lower back trouble unless you've got some kind of uh, hereditary or hairy disease or something, you know, that comes from your ancestors. they got all kinds of excuses for people falling apart at young ages. Thank God for those excuses. But all I'm telling you is instead of trying to really impress somebody else, how about just trying to be honorable? That's what a Christian really should be. I, I made a comment, I think, a year or so ago, and I really forgot about it, but it's come to mind even now just talking about this stuff. You know, the mark of a Christian is when he comes up against something, he should leave things in better shape than when he found them. Amen. That's the mark of a Christian. The mark of a reprobate is he leaves them in worse shape. Hey, when you fellas preach, you should leave this church in better shape than when you got up here. That's a fact. When you work with people down at your workplace, you should leave those people in better shape than when you went down there and interacted with them. Yeah, that's right. How many of you got children? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, then they should be better by the time they leave your house than when they came into this world. You say, Brother Nathan, that's a little bit ridiculous. It's not all that ridiculous. Some kids would be better off left to themselves. You said, Brother Nathan, I don't know that I agree with that. Well, I mean, you just pile it on. Just, just pile it on and say whatever has to be said, man. Uh, but I don't know, man. Uh, I'm not, I don't like defects. I do not like defects. Uh, I don't even know how to spell it. I don't like that stuff. But at the same time, I understand why they exist. Yeah. I mean, when a mama and daddy takes a hanger and they're whipping their kids with a hanger, that's, that's, not, that's not sensible. That's not reasonable. Uh, I think what a lot, of, a lot of folks are looking for is they're not looking to raise children. They're looking for fights. They've got some kind of insecurity going on in their heart and mind. And they've got to prove how much bigger they are than the kid. And man, if you're that insecure that you have to prove to your kid that you're better or bigger, you really got some things that you need to work out in your own heart and mind. It's true. It's true. It's not an honorable position. Uh, one of the things that I've thought about here recently, uh, especially in dealing with my own kids, you know, you, you deal with kids and boy, you got, you know, kids do dumb things sometimes. And sometimes they, they, they're without self-control. 
And that really, I'll say this, that's the mark of a child, really. That's the mark of a child. We'll get to that here in the text here in just a second. Uh, the Bible says, when I was a child, 1 Corinthians 13, when I was a child, I thought as a child. Yeah. Well, let me just go ahead and turn over there right quick. First uh, Corinthians 13, he says, when I was a child, it's verse 11, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Well, children tend to do things that are a little bit childish. And one of those things is they don't really have a whole lot of self-control. But, you know, the, the, the way that you teach that to them is not just by telling them what to do. The way that you teach them how to have self-control is you have self-control. If you don't have any self-control, if you don't know how to control your mouth, I don't know why you'd expect your kids to be able to control their mouth. If you can't control your emotions, I don't know why you would expect your kids to control their emotions. Kids, kids don't follow what you say solely. They do, but not solely. They follow what they see. They're just like you. Listen, you could, hear, you could hear me stand up here and tell you what's right day in and day out. But you're going to pay attention to the way that the guy who's preaching up here, you're going to pay attention to the way that he lives. You're going to. You're going to. That's why 1 Timothy chapter 3 is in the book. A bishop must be, and then he gives a list. Hey, if you preach it, you got to be, if you're going to be a pastor, you got to be this way. Why? Because people are looking. Well, it's the same way with a parent. It's the same way. And I got on this by saying, you know, a lot of kids or a lot of parents want honor out of their children. But the flip side of that thing is you've got to be honorable. You have to be honorable. If you're not willing to be honorable in regards to your kids, you can bark at them all day long about showing you the honor that you deserve. The Bible says, honor thy father and thy mother. It's, it's like a husband going to his wife and saying, the Bible says, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Yeah, but you're an idiot. You don't know what you're doing. You don't sit down and think about nothing. You're rash. You have no ability to reason about anything. You won't listen to anybody. I mean, it's true. The Bible says that wives should submit themselves unto their own husband. But if a husband's an idiot, man, you're really making things very difficult. Well, the Bible says that children are supposed to honor their father and their mother. And that's a fact. And that never goes away, by the way. I don't care if you're 60. I don't care if you're 70. I don't care however old you are. I don't care if you're 120. God said, honor your father and your mother. Well, Brother Nathan, I just got a bad relationship with my mama and daddy. Well, you need to do something about that then. You know why some of you didn't get revival this week? Because you ain't going to get right with your parents. And I'm not talking to the young folks in here. I'm talking to some of you adults. You want your kids to get right with you, but you're the hardhead who don't want to get right with your parents. Some of you got parents, right? At, you got parents that are close to you as far as physically, geographically, that you won't go and see. You won't have anything to do with them because, well, you know, it's just, and you just fill in the blanks with whatever. Listen, I'm not telling you that you've got to let them run your life. 
Honor and obedience are not necessarily the same thing. I hope you understand that. I don't have time to go into all of those details, but honor and obedience are not the same thing. You can honor some, you can honor mama and daddy. If your mom and daddy come to you and you're a grown individual, you got your own wife, you got your own husband, you got your own children, you got your own house, and they say, hey, you shouldn't go down there to People's Baptist Church. God never told you that you had to obey that, but you still got to show them some, some honor. Going, going around, you know, well, me and my parents, we just don't get along. Well, do everything you can to get along with them. That's the truth. That's the truth. Fix my kids. Fix my kids. Fix my kids. You need to be fixed. You need to be fixed. Uh, what's wrong with 90% of Americans, I believe? Maybe it's not that much. Maybe it's more. What, but what's wrong with many Americans is the fact that they don't fear, they don't fear God. And, and the reason, that, that's true about so many Americans, but the reason lies at the fact that they don't fear their mom and daddy. They've got no respect for them. It's a fact. You do remember that the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, You be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Chew your mama up one side and down the other behind her back. You can bet your bottom dollar on the fact that your kids are going to do the same or worse. Boy, I'm really going to give my mother a piece of my mind. You better give her a piece of God's mind. You better pray a whole bunch before you do something that foolish. It's true. It's true. You want honor, you've got you, you got to be you got to be honorable. You've got to be honorable. You you have to be honorable. That's what a Christian is supposed to be. Everything, everything that you that you do in this life should be should have an element of honor about it. Every single one of you. It's not just for the highfalutin folks in society. It's not just for the mayor, and it's not just for the county commissioners. It's for Christians. And if you're a Christian, you should be honorable. It's true. It's true. Now, I told you I was going to talk to you about weight because I was talking about all of this, uh, this uh, fit, physical fitness stuff, all of this lifting weights and all this stuff. So let me go ahead and get that out of the way because I know everybody's sweating. You start talking about weight and, boy, people really start getting nervous. And maybe that's why things are so tight in here. No, I, I know that's not why things are tight. It's tight in here because some of you backslid. And I'm praying for you. I, I hope you get those things patched up with the Lord. Not with me. Not with me. I, 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 pray, I pray that you get those things patched up with the Lord, whatever those issues, issues may be. Brother Nathan, you really think because it gets quiet in a church, people are backslid? Well, I know this. Everything that a preacher's ever said that I was not guilty of, I could look at him with a clear conscience and say, that's right, preacher. Amen. And when folks get real quiet when a preacher starts saying something, I just take that as evidence that something's going on. Whatever it might be, something's going on. So anyways, let me get back over here uh, talking about this weight. Here you got this thing of, you know, here's somebody that's got a couple of extra pounds on them. And, you know, folks, everybody that's got a couple of extra pounds on them, it's not because, you know, 
As my wife said earlier today, it's not because they're fat tub of lard. That, that's not the case. Some folks have health issues. Ain't that, ain't that true? That's a fact. Some folks got problems with their thyroid. God, have, God pity you if you have problems with your thyroid. Man, that stuff gets you all messed up. But, you know, some folks have this particular affliction, and it's called eating. And they like it. They like to do it. They're addicted. Me too. But the pro and that's not a problem. The problem comes in when there's no restraint. Right? That's the issue. Uh, I, I'm not going to throw stones at a guy that, you know, weighs, you know, whatever. I'm not even going to put in the blanks because I'm outnumbered. I'm going to choose my words very carefully. Uh, I'm a pretty small fella. I could get squashed very easily. Uh, but uh, you, could, uh, you could throw stones at a guy like that. But uh, I'll, I'll just say this. The trouble's not with the, with the Bible says in the book of Psalms, this verse comes to mind, the liberal soul shall be made fat. I mean, what you going to do with something like that? I mean, Brother Nathan, you can't preach against fat people. The liberal soul will be made fat. No, but I can preach against this, the lack of restraint. You know what he said in Proverbs chapter 23? He said, if you're a man given to appetite, put a knife to your throat. You know what the New Testament equivalent of that is, Brother Clint? If thine eye offendeth thee, pluck it out. And in the context when he says that, he's talking about a man lusting after a woman. He said, you look on a woman to lust after in her heart, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. And so he says, if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out. Well, the Old Testament version of that has to do with gluttony. It has to do with somebody that doesn't know how to restrain themselves, how to look at themselves and say, no, no, this far, no further. Right? If, you, if, you're a man, if thou be a man given to appetite, I believe it's Proverbs 23. Let's just go ahead and turn over there. I just, we'll just go ahead and read it. Might as well read it. Verse 1, Proverbs 23, verse 1, he says, When thou sittest, here's some pages turning, I'll give you a couple seconds. He says, When thou sittest to eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is before thee, and put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man given to appetite. Well, you're going to have to exercise some personal restraint. You're going to have to... You're going to have to be willing and, and able to say no. And you know what it does is it creates a situation or it can create a situation of honor. One of the things that Robert E. Lee was praised for the most throughout his life was not just how wise he was as a tactician in battle, but one of the greatest things that was applauded about his life is that this guy is able to keep his cool and his composure in the most challenging environments bullets whizzing by his head, incompetence of his staff officers, and it seemed like this guy just never gets upset. There was a couple of times where he got really upset and he had to excuse himself and go back to his tent and grit his teeth. But those situations, reading some biographies about those things, those situations were rare. You say, why? He was a man of great self-control. Look at, look at how the verse puts it in verse 4. 1 Thessalonians 4.4. 4. He said that every one of you should know how to possess, possess his vessel. It's self-possession. It's being able to control yourself. Well, Robert E. Lee was one of those fellows that was able to do such a thing. 
It's a fact. Anyways, we're not preaching about Robert E. Lee. I don't want to uh, elaborate there too much. Uh, hold your place here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and look with me over in Romans chapter 1. Let me show you the other side of the thing. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Uh, you should aspire to be an honorable Christian. Just be an honorable Christian. You think you could set that as a goal? You think as you walk out of here tonight, you could set it in your heart and say, boy, that... I really need to work on being an honorable individual. Amen. Have you ever walked up to somebody, or not walked up to somebody, but dealt with somebody for an extended period in your life, and you looked at those individuals and said, man, that is, that is an honorable individual. Man, it's, they've always got a sense of dignity about them. It always seems like they're collected. Well, why don't you try to aspire to be that kind of individual? I can't think of a better place to start trying to do that than in your own home because that's where the challenges most often come. Yeah. <laughs> that's a fact. Nobody has a problem maintaining their, I say nobody, maybe some folks do. Very few people, Brother Tommy, have a hard time maintaining their dignity here. I guess it's because these are the people that you care about as opposed to the people down at your own house. I say that with a smile on my face, but that really ought not to be, man. The people of your own house are the people that you should love more than anything. That's a, that's a fact. And listen, I'm preaching to myself just as much as I'm preaching to you. But man, folks will go home and they'll chew their little kids out and call them every name under the sun, but then they'll come down to the house of God and see somebody that they only see three times a week. And, hey, how are you, brother? It's so wonderful to see you. Well, boy, I bet your boy would really love to hear something like that down, you know, five minutes ago while you was cussing him out before you came to church. But for some reason, it's more attractive to be honorable to this guy than it is to be to this guy. Listen, let me tell you something. I, I, I identify with what Brother Mike said on Friday night, preaching out of Proverbs 31. That was the funniest message I've ever heard, but it, it rang so true. I don't identify with a woman. I, I know nothing. I have no experience with that. I don't know what that's like. But I do know something about a male mind. I'm not trying to single you out. I'm not trying to embarrass you. I do know something about a boy's mind, a man's mind. You know what? Every inmate that I've ever walked up to out there on the prison that we've ever had behavior problems out of, it's almost like talking about kids, ain't it? That's what, that's what modern psychologists talk about, misbehaving. We've got behavior problems. Every inmate that we ever had behavior problems out of, you know, you go down into the restrictive housing unit, they called it the Rue. You go down in there and you talk to them, and this is one of the first things that comes out of their mouth. He disrespected me, man. That's what boys look for. They, men look for respect. I want you to respect me. And the reply of the staff was almost always the same because it's what the warden told them when they came in. If you want respect, you got to... I want you to respect me. I want you to, you're not my boy, so I'm going to come over here. I want you to respect me. You know how you do that? You got to give him some. Yes. It's a fact. You get into any kind of position of authority. 
Uh, I don't meddle in other people's business, but I use Brother Tommy because I think he's the closest guy to the front that has a business. But I guarantee if you talk to your employees like dogs, it's not going to be very long before they're all going to be looking for jobs. Hey, that's true about pastoring. God calls a preacher to preach hard and preach straight. But man, if you constantly talk to folks like they're worms, and when I say talk to people like worms, make it personal, like it's a me versus them kind of a thing. Folks are not going to put up with that, and for good reason. It's just true, man. Uh, it's just true. It's, it's true. Well, uh, kids are not going to put up with it. Employees are not going to put up with it. Church members are not going to put up with it. That's just not the way that things work. Uh, but i tell you a way that will work. Just be honorable. Take care of your character. Take care of your morals. Hey, I say this. It shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't be this way. Hey, listen here. Listen here. Y'all look up at me. It shouldn't be this way. But I'll tell you one way to get respect from your parents or from your grandma and grandpa or from aunts and uncles. I'll tell you one way to get respect from them. I'll tell you one way to get honor. You be honorable. You be honorable. Want little brother to be respectful of you. and People want power. Man, it, it is a male thing. I, but I believe this spans out even to the ladies. People want a measure of power over somebody else. Oh, no, not me preaching. You're a liar. You're a liar, man. People want the ability, maybe not to turn their arm behind their back and make them do a particular thing, but people would like for, them, for other people to do what person A wants them to do. It's a little bit easy to get lost in the weeds there. But I'll tell you one of the ways to... And this is not come close to manipulation, and that's not what I'm talking about. But, hey, man, if you want all this honor and you want all this respect, be ready to hand it out. Be ready. And listen, be an individual that commands it. And when I say command, I don't mean, hey, you better respect me. But you, every single one of you sitting in here have, have been sitting in a room. I guarantee you, and if you're not, pity your poor soul. But I, I guarantee you, every single one of you folks have been sitting in a room somewhere where somebody walked in the back door, and when you, they walked in the back door, you looked at them and said, hmm, something different about that individual. Something about that individual that commands respect. And they never said, hey, you better respect me. Hey, you better honor me. They walked in and they carried themselves a certain way. When they spoke, they had a certain tone about their voice. Jesus Christ never told anybody, you better do what I say. But there was something about Jesus Christ that rattled them Pharisees. Listen to me. I believe it's Matthew chapter 8, the last verse in Matthew chapter 8. They, the Pharisees went to the soldiers and said, why haven't you brought this guy into custody? And they looked at him and said, never a man spake like this man. He doesn't speak like the Pharisees speak. He speaks with authority. That's what some of you folks sitting in here this evening are looking for. You're looking for authority. You're looking for power. That's what some of you young folks are looking for. You're looking for authority. You're looking for power. You're looking for the ability to, hey, I really want to do some things. 
And the way that you're going to do that is you're going to have to step it up. Some of you parents, you get into a situation to where things are out of control at your house. Well, before you start biting people's heads off, Daddy, before you bite Mama's heads off, head off, before you bite the kids' heads off, Mama, before you bite your husband's head off, and before you bite the kids' head off, you need to sit down and take a second and just ask yourself, am I in a position of being honorable? And listen, there ain't no amount of, oh, God, get them. Oh, God, you really better do something with these people because there ain't no amount of that that is going to bypass the fact that you are going to have to step things up. The Christian position, and listen, I don't know, maybe some of you ain't concerned at all about being a Christian. Not worried about having a Christian home. Not worried about being a Christian down at the workplace. Not worried about being a Christian wherever you are. Maybe you're not worried about that, but if you are, you're going to have to step up and be one. You're going to have to step up and have the honor that's due to a Christian. And when you start doing those things, you, you won't have to walk around and say, hey, you better do this, or hey, you better understand who I am. God will do that. One of the verses I love the most about David is this verse where uh, he goes out and he beats the Philistines. I mean, just wears them out, man. It's kind of hard not to like a guy like that. Just wear them out and wear them out and wear them out and wear them out. But every time it, before he goes out, he's always getting down on his knees. God, what you want me to do? Go get them. God, what you want me to do? Go get them. God, what you want me to do? Go get them. And then he comes to the Lord one day and he says, now the Philistines are down here. What you want me to do? And God says, be still. And so David, he takes it, hey, y'all, just be still. And the Lord comes to David and he says, hey, you go back up around here. And he said, you get behind these mulberry trees. And he said, you wait. And he said, when you hear a sound of the goings in the top of the mulberry trees, I've always wondered what that was. It's a little bit strange. But he says, when you hear a sound of the going in the top of the mulberry trees, then you go out and you know that the Lord has gone out before you to smite your enemies. David didn't get down there in the midst of the Philistines and say, Y'all better recognize who I am. He just went out with God. He had the presence of God on his life. He had the good hand of God on his life. God was with him. God was with Joseph whithersoever he went, and the Lord made him to prosper in whatever he did. Some of you don't know what that's like, and because of that, you've got to manipulate. Your whole, you've been manipulating your whole life, and that's why you're beating your brains out because you're so frustrated. You're trying to make up for the lack of the blessing of God, and all it's going to do is just ruin everything that you touch. You've got, you don't have the Midas touch. You've got the mud touch. I'm going to work this out. I'm going to work this out. You're fixing to make yourself a disaster that cannot be fixed. He that hardeneth his neck, being often reproached, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. You're going to be broken, and it's not going to be able to be fixed. You're going to be Humpty Dumpty fall, fell off the wall, and all the king's horses and all the king's men can't put you back together again. You're going to have listen. I don't care who you are sitting in here this evening. I don't care what's going on in your life. You're going to have to get God on your life. And you're going to have to do, the only way you can do that is you're going to have to do things God's way. Yeah, that's right. 
You're going to have to find out what God's will is for your life, and you're going to have to do it that way. I'm sure you got Romans 1 in your hand. I hope you didn't lose 1 Thessalonians 4. Look, look back look back at this in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse, verse 1. He said, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God. Now, if I asked you, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I, if I asked you, how many of you really want to be honorable people? How many of you want to be honorable Christians? I believe every hand in this room would, walk, would, would go up in the, in the sky, up in the air. There's your first step in getting to that place. You say, where? Right there where it says, how to please God. You want to know how to be dishonorable? Please yourself. Got your place open, Romans 1? Look right here in Romans chapter 1. Look in verse, look in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they're without, with, they're without, with, uh, without excuse, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. They didn't give him glory as though he was God, and they didn't thank him. They weren't thankful but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. You know the mark of a dishonorable individual? It's somebody who doesn't have enough sense to come in out of the rain, but they insist they're so smart. That's the danger of a post-secondary education. Oh, boy, here we go again. Uh, I believe a post-secondary education is absolutely, well, not absolutely, nearly useless. It's good for getting a job, maybe. But I do know a lot of people that have master's degrees that still can't get a job. They're working at Walmart. That tells me something about the college education system. Oh, I got kids in college. Whatever. It, it is what it is. I, they want to go. They want to do that. If you're going to be a lawyer, you're going to be a doctor, maybe that's a little bit different. Uh, but it, I can tell you this. Uh, going to college ain't going to make you a better citizen of the United States. And it's not going to make you a smarter individual. It's not going to make you a smarter individual. See, that? I don't know why things get a little bit hesitant there. It's not going to make you a smarter individual. What it's going to do is ensure you come out as a liberal. It's going to make sure that you come out looking at a poll screen and vote D, 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 D. That's all these colleges are doing. That's all they're producing. Socialism, they're producing socialists and communists. That's all they're producing. You're welcome. <clears throat> Why would you dare say such a thing like that? Well, most of the folks that was involved in all of these riots back in Baltimore and all of this other stuff, most of them was college kids. I guess, I guess what they do, and you say, Brother Nathan, I got a college degree. My dad's got one. I'm not telling you if you've got a college degree that you're not right with God. I wouldn't dream of saying such a thing. But why are you getting so upset? Because I'm kicking you God. It don't contribute nothing to your intelligence. 
it, it, it enables you to learn a particular vocabulary and put A, B, and C on a test and answer true and false on a test and it enables you to maybe write an essay or two so that you can get an A in your course and then come out with a piece of paper that says, yeah, this guy's certified to be a lawyer. This guy's certified to be a doctor. This guy's certified to be this. This guy's certified to be that. If that's what you want to do, man, I'm not arguing with you about that, but it doesn't make you more spiritual. It doesn't mean that you can think some of the dumbest people I've ever met in my life were college graduates. And it's not because, it's not because, well, they got a degree in the wrong thing. It's because they lean so heavy on this post-secondary education. Didn't lean on God, just kicked God right out of the picture. Anyways. I guess you can go home and chew on that, choke on it. I mean, that's up to you. That's between you and God. Uh, you should quit worshiping education. And if you wasn't worshiping education, you'd have been sitting there saying, Amen, praise the Lord, that's right, preacher. Even if you do have a college degree. Amen. Uh, but that's between you and the Lord. I'll go home and sleep very well tonight. Uh, because when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Now look at what he says right here. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. To dishonor their own bodies between themselves. To dishonor. Push God right out of the picture and where you go? You go right down into the depths of dishonor. You're going to try real hard. Listen, some of you folks are going to sit in here and you're going to take everything that's been said tonight. And you, oh, it's just that preacher talking. And you're going to walk right out, of the, right out those back doors and you're going to go back to living the same old life that you've always lived. And you're going to keep pushing God out of the picture and trying to make God your post-secondary education. And when I say post-secondary, I mean you're making him secondary, not the primary. You're going to make God secondary. You're going to make him take the back seat. And the only thing that it's going to do is it's going to cause you to keep dishonoring yourself. How come none of those people like me? Because you're not a likable person. How come people don't respect me? Because you're not respectable. I really just would like for some people to honor me. Be honorable. But a lot of folks are going to spend the rest of their lives being bitter about that stuff because these people don't like me and these people don't respect me and these people don't honor me. And instead of conforming to, what the, to the standards and the principles that God said, hey, this is where you get honor. This is where you get the respect that you're looking for. Well, I'm not coming up there. And so God says, okay, you're not going to get it then. And people sit right there and get bitter and get bitter and get bitter and get mad and get angry and get frustrated till eventually they'll pull out a gun and go to somebody and go, bam! You say, that'll never happen. That's exactly what happened with Cain and Abel. God said, Cain, well, Abel brought a sacrifice. It was a lamb. And God leaned over and said, that's good. That's good. And Cain brought of the fruit of the ground the works of his hands. And the Bible says, basically, God turned his nose up at it. And the Bible said, Cain sat over here, and the Bible says his countenance was wroth. And the Lord came to him and said, what's the matter with you? 
What's the matter with you, Cain? He said, if you do well, won't you be accepted? Those people just don't accept me. That's because you're not doing well. It's up to you, man. It's up to you. Quit blaming it on everybody else. You take responsibility for it. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. All right, one more verse, and I'll let you go from the torture. It don't. Second uh, Timothy chapter two. Second Timothy chapter two. Listen, it don't have to be torture. You could very easily bow your heart before God and say, Lord, help me. I've been doing this all wrong. God, help me, Lord, to, to stop this and start changing my life. And God could take care of it. God could help you with those things. But some folks ain't going to do that because they're just too proud. Just too proud. You know it all, don't you? Don't you? Don't you? Just go ahead and say amen, preacher. Because you do. You do. That's why you ain't taking God's word yet. That's why you keep believing your own. Oh, I'll get this all worked out. I'll get this all worked out. You ain't going to get nothing worked out. You're going to sit there and keep being frustrated. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly Dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Ain't you thankful for that? Amen. Hey, if you're saved, God knows who you are. Yes, sir. You might be a disaster right now, but if you save, listen, God knows who you are. Yeah. Amen. That's a great blessing. The Lord knoweth them that are his. And the other side of that seal is, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth. Gold and silver is real valuable, ain't it? Ain't it? Wood and earth, not so much. Well, in a great house, there's vessels of both kinds. Of, well, I should say of all four kinds. And then look at what he says. And some to honor and some to dishonor. Now, all of those different kinds of vessels, ain't they in the house? You got some vessels of honor over here and you got some vessels of dishonor over here. They're both in the same house, though. So when we're talking about being an honorable Christian, we're not talking about being lost or saved. We're talking about, uh, we're talking about, well, look at what he says in verse 21. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and see that next phrase, meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. You know what being a vessel of honor has to do with? It has to do with your utility to the Lord. Can God use you? Can God use you? Well, I don't know. That depends on if you're an honorable individual or not. It depends on if you're an honorable Christian or not. Yeah. Well, Brother Nathan, I'm saved. Okay, you're in the house. 
but are you usable? Uh, when company comes over, I don't know of anybody that uses their fine china. Maybe some of you ladies have got some fine china. Our fine china basically consists of uh, Dixie paper plates. That's the finest china I've ever seen in my life. Keep you from having to do dishes. You should be shouting. Amen. Me and Brother Wyatt's happy about that. Oh, uh, but I don't know. But when company comes over, you got a big shindig, and boy, you really want to put on a spread. Of course, I'm talking to the wrong kind of folks talking about this because y'all all use Dixie stuff. But you know, if you was over in England or some of these highfalutin places, man, we're going to pull out the fine china. They're vessels of honor. They're not vessels of dishonor. They're vessels of honor. And you know, when the Lord wants to use somebody, what he looks for, what he looks for is he looks for somebody that's an honorable Christian. Let me get you to think about something. It's very possible that some of you parents will never be able to get through to your kids. And you know why that is? Because you're not an honorable individual. God can't use you. And what he'll have to do is he'll have to find somebody that is honorable to get through to them. You know, there's a possibility that I could be a dishonorable vessel as a pastor and God would never be able to use me to get through to the people that I pastor. Well, that would be a tragic shame. And the only time that God could ever speak to some folks sitting in this church is when, I, is when we have a visiting preacher come through. Why? Just because, well, he says right here in verse 21, he says, if a man therefore purge himself from these. You know what purging is? It's getting rid of some things. You can't, listen, you can't accept everything and be a vessel unto honor. You can't accept everything and let everything just come in and, and then expect God to be able to use you. God uses clean dishes. That's the kind of stuff that God uses. Well, I'm just going to let my life be with this, and I'm going to let my life be over here, and I'm going to let my life do this. And I'm, listen, one of the greatest problems with weed and dope is not just what it does to your mind and taking it out of a place of sobriety, it's what it does with you. It makes you a dishonorable individual. Don't the Bible say, listen, doesn't the Bible say that, uh, Use a little wine for your stomach's sake. Don't it say that? Okay, then the problem's not with the wine per se. You understand that concept? Now folks are going to go out of here and go get them a fifth of liquor on the way home. And you'll be wrong about that. You'll be wrong about that. You're not right. That's not what that verse is talking about. Not talking about recreational drink. And if you're drinking in here this evening, recreational, you're drunkard. Hey Amen. You need to put that bottle down. That, that, that stuff ain't right. Never be right. Never be right. But the Bible does say use a little wine for your stomach's sake. But you know somebody that gets hooked on that stuff and they just drinking it and drinking it and drinking it. What the, the problem is not just, it's not just what it does to them in the moment. That stuff messes with your mind. You've never been drunk. No, but I got a Bible and that's what Proverbs says. Make you see things that ain't there. Some of you folks might be sitting in here paranoid. Maybe not right now, but you go home and you're paranoid about things, and it might be because you've been drinking. Stop it. Stop. You don't have to live that way. I mean, you're going to keep drinking, you're going to keep living that way. Well, stop it. Just stop doing that stuff. But, oh, 
That's not just, that's not the only problem. The other problem is what it does to you as an individual. Here's a man who sits down, I got to have a drink. I got to have a drink. I got to have a drink. Told you the story one time of Mel Trotter. Mel Trotter was such a severe drunkard that he took, he, he took his money. He took the money that he worked for and he'd take his paychecks and he'd just blow it and he'd just blow it and he'd just blow it. And one day he was, they lived somewhere up in uh, ungodly forsaken cold place and he wasn't providing heat for his wife and his daughter and his little daughter died. And he went inside his house, and his wife had, it, had his daughter laid out there uh, on the table, dressed in a little dress. She passed away, had some shoes on her feet. And Mel Trotter went in there and grabbed the shoes off the corpse of that little baby and went down to the bar and put them on the table, on the bar table there, and said, how much will you give me for these shoes? And that bartender threw him out. Mel Trotter went down to the Salvation Army and God saved his soul. They actually preached in those days. They, not like they are now, but they actually preached in those days and the fellow got saved. That's what liquor will do to somebody. Yeah. See, that's what an illicit substance will do to folks. It's not just, oh, I'm having a hard time. I, I need me a quick pick-me-up. No, sir. When that thing gets done with you, whether it's beer, whether it's weed, yeah. whether it's tobacco, when that stuff gets done with you, it's going to leave you sitting around saying, oh, I got to have it. I got to have this. I, I just got to have this. I, I just got to have this. Well, see, what you've done is you've got to the place to where you've got no restraint. You're not honorable. What's it say? I done turned away from it. Let me get back over there to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And let me just read it to you right quick. 1 Thessalonians, he says, for we know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. That's restraint. That's restraint. For the sake of not being too descriptive, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, it says marriage is honorable in all. Nothing wrong with the institution of marriage. It's an honorable institution. That's that institution perverted. I think everybody understands that, that needs to understand. He says, well, you're going to have to restrain yourself. That's what honor deals with. Honor deals with looking at yourself and saying, no, can't do it. Can't let myself do it. Oh, I'd really like to do this, but I, I, I just can't do it. And what you, you begin to throw that, well, can't do that. Throw that off to the side, and you're on the fast track to a place of dishonor. Nobody's going to look at you and have any respect. Nobody's going to look at you and have a respect. Now, listen, you can sit here this evening, and I'm, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to let you go. I'm not even going to give an invitation, because I hope you walk out of here and think about this for the rest of the night. You can sit right here in this building. You could sit right here and listen to everything that's just been said and say, these people, those people, whether it's people in here or people out there, these people, those people, boy, they're just so mean and they don't like me and they don't accept me. But if you've never sat down and said, now, God, I know I've got something to do with this. God, help me. Help me to see where I can improve. Then you've got nothing to talk about to the Lord. The Lord's not even going to consider what's going on in, in, in your heart and soul until you get to the place and say, it's me it's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. 
Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The responsibility lies with you. It's on your shoulders first. And until you're willing to visit that, you don't have any place to go. That's a fact. That's a fact. Sounds like a bleak thing, but I will say this. I'll turn this around and I'm done for the third time or ninth time. I could say all of that, but I'll say this. The moment that you do start to consider those things, God will be paying attention. Now, here's somebody that's willing to admit that they have something to do with this situation. Now, I'm ready to deal with this individual. But just keep blowing it off on everybody else, and you're not going to get anywhere with that. I'm talking about honor. Be an honorable Christian. Father, I pray you take these things tonight. Lord, use them, God. I pray for your glory and honor. And I pray that you'd help us, God, to endeavor. God, Lord, may it be in our hearts, God, to be honorable people. Honorable people, Lord. People that correctly reflect the God that we serve. Lord, I pray you help us with these things. Have your will and way. Bless the message. God, bless these people in their weeks this week. God, I pray that you'd give them fruitfulness, God, and, and their jobs, their workplaces. God, bless their homes. Bless everything about them, God. Lord, I pray. God, Lord, let them live for your glory and honor. Help me, God, this week, Lord, to do something for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. God bless you. You're dismissed.